dank. So dank. I can't believe this is happening again! When one has gazed and solved sequence activation in 60 seconds, there's all you, sir. Initial contamination complete. Controllers stand by to initiate IPV drop sequence. On my mark. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Dankness. I am Jason Bailey, a.k.a. Art Gnome, one of your hosts. And I am Dan Sickles, a.k.a. Dan Sickles. The, the better of the two hosts, in my opinion. Uh, oh, thank you, Jason. Yeah, of course, man. Love you, brother. Uh, so, yeah, what the heck is The Dankness? Well... Dan and I were talking about how, like, a lot of times the people that we love and look up to into the, in this space, like, a lot of the interviews and the podcasts and whatever, they kind of cover the same territory. And, like, sometimes those start to feel like one-dimensional people that, like, aren't real humans and don't, like, you know, uh, you know, eat regular food and walk around and have jobs and family and things like the rest of us. So we thought, like... Let's build out a podcast where we're sort of intentionally making it a little bit more laid back and a little bit more casual and really ask a bunch of questions that are designed to find like other aspects um, of these people that typically don't get shared. So it's a big experiment, uh, but so far we've been having a lot of fun with it and we have like this amazing A-list set of guests. Uh, so with that, I think we can kick it off. Yes, we can. Today, who do we have today in the studio, Bailey? Yeah, one, one of my favorites. I mean, whatever. I keep saying that. I'm so hyperbolic, I feel like, but it is true. It's like hit after hit after hit. And today we have somebody super special. Yeah, we're never going to invite somebody that we're like, and today's guest is someone that we hate. <laughs> they just snuck they, they snuck in through the back door, and we couldn't figure out how to get him out. You know? uh, but yeah, I think we both, we both love Matt Kane. Um, and we're not alone in this. Uh, Matt, I think is, it's fair to say that Matt Kane is one of the most beloved artists in the whole crypto art space, uh, and for a great reason. Hell yes. So let's get to it, Art Gnome. We give you the dank. The dank. The dank. The dank. Club NFT is a free club for NFT collectors. We help collectors analyze their collection and keep it safe by creating local backups. And it's all free. Why not go to Club NFT today and analyze your collection and make sure that it's safe by creating a local backup? Your JPEGs will thank you. Dank notes. Glorious dank splendor. Dank This is a segment we call Show and Tell. It's a segment where we show and tell. Uh, each of us actually chooses something relevant to the crypto sphere or not to share about the, the past week. So Dan, why don't you uh, go first? So I guess I'm, I'm, I guess I'm breaking the rule a little bit. Um, but you know, I guess in the turn of the new year, I've just, I'm sort of thinking about you know, the, the, the past few months and how the last year sort of ended up. And, and, I, was, and I was reflecting on my last trip to Miami as, Miami? as one often does, if you've mm. ever been to Must Miami. Be and, um, and I was there for Basel, um, which it, it was my second art Basel, probably won't be my last, uh, fortunately and unfortunately. 
Um, um, but you know, I went to a lot of events. If you if you've been to Art Basel, you you've been to a lot of things. Like you you RSVP and you do the list and blah blah blah, and you try and put together the itinerary and that's right, go all baby. around this totally uh, obscure city that, that that makes no sense traffic wise. But here, it's so cute. I did that, that and and that, you know, I was like bouncing from place to place as best I could, and like you know, so I, nice. I guess reflecting on it. Uh, I, I just I had one night that was like uber magical and you know I feel like it was it's nice to call out that it didn't happen in Miami Beach it wasn't at like one of these sort of like big uh, like branded hotels with with sponsors uh, or, or anything like that um, but you know there was one night sort of towards the end that I ended up at like Theo Goodman's uh, rare Pepe party. And I forget where it was. Okay. It was oh, kind of like this, like yeah, un- yeah, unmarked yeah. location, like literally the type of place that you arrived and like there was an open door but no windows, and you're kind of like, okay, I guess, I guess this is the rare Pepe party, Supposed right? To be weird. Um, really weird. But it also seemed like the appropriate sort of entrance to the rare Pepe party, and went in, We're and you know, I was with, um, I was with Fanny, Fanny Le Bouquet, uh, who's a, a, a great thinker in the space, um, and has done so much to to bring great collectors into the space. Um, I was with her and I was with Giselle Flores, uh, who's a great OG crypto artist, um, and my producer, Hannah. And, you know, like we walk in and again, sort of like like bare bones kind of event space. Like there's there's no step and repeat. There, there's, none, there's none of that. There's no like official event photographer. But Theo Goodman was there and Brooke Hawk was there and Max Osiris ended up showing up. Um, Skrilla was there. Um, it was it was like such an incredible crew. Empress Trash was there, who I adore. Empress Trash, um, and it was it was just so it was just so like legit and homey and authentic and like you know like everyone's just cracking beers and like the the art was actually unbelievably curated. Um, and then we saw this performance uh, by this guy. I, I I'm not gonna remember his name, but it was like it was the wildest kind of performance I, I mean, Otto Otto Van Schrach I think I'm, I'm totally going to butcher it but like literally he was no. like running around uh, like with this like guy dressed in a, in a plushy wolf costume and he was like wearing like a wolf headpiece himself and like his son was there also dressed as a wolf um, I don't even know how to describe the genre of music but it was like it was super super trippy and it was a great experience. performance um and I don't know, I, I, you know, th- th- there's no punchline to this story, but like it was just like such an all-around great time, and like all of the things that That's I had ever heard Pepe from like there. the rare Pepe community and, and about the scientists and about that whole group. Um, it was cool to see it manifest. You know, I've been to Dada NYC parties, and like those are also incredible, incredible parties. Like they don't have anything to do with like who's who or what you're wearing, but just about a good time. And this party was the same exact thing, uh, and it was it was kind of a, a breath of fresh air. It sounds in the midst like it, of Basel, like it was almost like an antidote to to the rest of Art Basel, right? Like, uh, yeah, for sure. Like I, I didn't go to Art Basel left. this year, but like the. The thing, you know, I want to say I have like a love-hate relationship with Art Basel, Dan, but I think it may, I'm going to get in trouble for this, but it may just be like a hate-hate relationship with Art Basel. <laughs> so like, let, let, let me, I hear that. Let me, I hear that. let me preach for a second. So like, yes, two of my favorite things like Miami has going for it, like beautiful beaches and like, you know, lots of art, right? During Art Basel, mm. you know, Art Basel, Miami Art Week. 
Um, but they managed to wreck both of them, right? And this is why I, I get upset. So, like, <laughs> you go to the beach, and any time at night, going to about 2 o'clock, 2.30 in the morning, you have, like, air horns going off, going like, beep, beep, everybody dance, <laughs> let's drink. And then from, from about... 3.30 or 4, you know, to like 4.30. It's quiet if you're awake for that one hour. And then you hear all the old people going out to do like their calisthenics in the morning. And it's like, beer, beer, everybody, let's do our calisthenics. <laughs> so like you, you can't actually enjoy the, the beach. There's like always like some kind of like DJ, like yelling super pumped or whatever. So that's my, 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 my beach issue. And then on the art side, like for me, like art is this thing where I want like kind of like a quiet monastic like reflective environment where I can kind of like spend some time and like look at it but like Art Basel I feel like I'm like either in like a, a cruise ship or a mall and there's just like all these people it's more oh, about like dude, people so right. watching like how am I supposed to enjoy art when everyone's like these crowds of people that are like almost more like about them than than Real about the art or whatever so art. i mean that's almost the art like the art is almost watching the people watching the art in a you way you will take you art know. you will enjoy you got art. it you got it so yeah i think i think you did the right thing like what i do when i go to these events is like everyone you listed or, or like you know, i started the fomo when you were telling that story because like those are the people i love right and like finding those satellite events story. and like creating your your own like thing is the the way to go got one quick art basil story um too to, to kind of chuck on there so oh yeah you were there you were there in quotes this year yeah yeah i faked it i faked it this year so last year i went to art basil <laughs> like literally art basil like people call it art basil it's miami art week but like art basil is like this event within the event right that you have to like pay to get yeah. into so tezos has like an art booth in there and last year they were kind enough to have me on and I, I dressed like a, a moron. I went to like the, the Miami gift shops and like was wearing like, you know, sh like bright pink shorts and like sandals or whatever. So some guy on Twitter last year was like, you know, this is why no one will ever take crypto or NFT seriously. Look at this jerk wearing beach clothes like on a professional panel or whatever, right? So that was last year. So so this year I, I didn't actually go. We sent some other members of my team and uh, I, but, but I was on the same kind of panel, right? the the tezos booth in art basel yeah. so they beamed me in and i'm what? sitting like you know schlubby me with my headband and a t-shirt and my overgrown beard in a couch <laughs> right so like i think it was fanny actually that like tweeted like art gnome is like the only guy who can actually like do art basel from <laughs> from his couch in a t-shirt or whatever right so yeah i'm trying to get schlubbier and schlubbier every year like and, and just Wild. mail it in more and more but i am jealous jealous of your your party oh, that nice. sounds awesome like i love the red i mean guys I, I'm jealous of your performance art piece, your annual performance <laughs> art piece in response to Miami Art Week. I think it's uh, I think it's brilliant. Can't wait to see what what you look you like so next cute. year, Bailey. Yeah, one more rant, and we can cut this one if it goes too long. But I I, I just feel like I have to get this off my chest. My other problem with uh, Miami Art Week last year, I woke up like you know after flying in, spending the night, and I go to get breakfast at the hotel, and I got avocado toast, water and coffee and it was $40, right? And I'm like, hold on, there's like avocados growing literally on the trees out the window. Water should be free. Coffee's just a little bit of cheap coffee grounds mixed in with water, which we've already established should be free. I don't know how much a slice of bread costs, but like 40 bucks, right? Like I'm like, that is, and then, you know, I was feeling bad. I was feeling fat 
because everybody in Miami is like super fit, right? Like everybody is wicked fit. Oh, it's like body, body, body. Right? You know? Like everyone's yeah. like, looks like, I, I mean, I never felt so much like a exactly. Sasquatch, right? But now I get it. Like no one can afford to eat, right? Because like, you know, avocado toast and water is 40 bucks. Like you can, no one could afford to be fat there, right? So I don't know. I don't want to just rail like nonstop on Miami, but like. I, I, you know, don't think it's a great place to look at art. I hate that there's constant noise in the, the on the beach. Everyone makes me feel like I'm fat and I can't afford to eat. Other than that, I, I, I love it. And we're going to call that your share and tell for the rest of the day. I think we have that now. For real life. Miami Basil, y'all. I guess, like, the, the, the moral of that story really is if you find yourself at Miami Basil, go to the Rare Pepe party. Agreed. With that, though, Stella is reminding us it's time to actually get into the bulk of today's episode. As we get settled for that, though, first, a quick pre-roll. Miami has so so much appeal. A great place to get a seafood meal. Miami. In a world where digital art has been historically undervalued, one film is here to set the record straight. Featuring over 100 artists, collectors, and developers, each an important voice in the NFT community, partially funded with the cutest NFT project you've ever seen, Depop Studios presents I'm New Here. Learn more and mint your newbie today at newhere.xyz. based in Chicago. Uh, recently, it seems like he's kind of doing this nomadic journey kind of uh, up and down the western U.S. coast. Um, but Matt is a self-taught programmer, um, and he came to coding as a means of better actualizing his visions. And through bespoke software that he designed, uh, he creates these dense, multi-layered works, which may for the viewer seem like varied nets placed atop one another, or networks, or synaptic bonds, or connections. Um, Matt Kane is a crypto artist's crypto artist. Um, he's revered by other well-established artists in the space for his master craftsmanship. And Matt has also lived what he's preached. Um, whereas the traditional art market and that history is rife with examples of artists being thwarted in the hope of setting royalty standards for resales, Matt Kane and others have successfully lobbied to set a minimum secondary resale standard for artists across the NFT industry in early 2020. MattKane.com, M-A-T-T-K-A-N-E.com, is a place worth checking out as soon as you have access to a screen. Uh, Matt is prolific enough that listing all of his best works would eat up too much of our time together, but you should definitely check out his Bitcoin Volatility series, his The Door series, and absolutely, positively, if there's one thing that you're able to check out and learn a little about in conjunction with definitely check out Gazers, um, a series that he dropped on Artblocks in December 2021, 
which has become one of the most cherished collections in, I'd say, the entire crypto art movement. Um, the works respond to the cycles of the moon, so they're perpetually shifting, making gazers a work that you really want to live with more than just visit once or twice. Um, personally, everyone keeps asking me what I want for my birthday, and I keep saying a gazer as if it's going to materialize for me due to my constant repeating it. Um, the success gaze, gaze. of the crypto art movement, the success of everything we're doing here, um, both aesthetically, technically, um, and ethically, um, owes a sincere thanks to the work of Matt Cain, and we are so, so, so stoked to have him with us today. Matt, how are you? I'm good. I'm really happy to be with you guys this morning. And thank Jason, you so much you, for that. You rollout. go way back with Matt, too. Oh, yeah, dude, of course, of course. But J Jason, you you and Matt, I'm sure, go go way back. Yeah. 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 No, Matt's it's, it's interesting because Matt's been here a long time, but it seems like he's been here from the beginning. Um, and, you know, uh, I, I want to say, I don't know, Matt, what, 2018? Is that about when, when you kind of come into the crypto art scene? Yeah. You know, I saw an article in 2017. So I was a lurker primarily until probably 2018. I started to <laughs> be verbose on Twitter. Yeah. So, for, yeah, for me, I mean, maybe it's the greatest compliment I can give an artist. Matt, Matt has always, to me, felt like someone who's doing their own thing, right? Like doing his own thing. Mm. And, and what does that mean? Um, I've sort of uh, studied and been interested in generative art for a better part of uh, 20 years. And there's sort of a, a path that a lot of generative artists all kind of follow through where they're, you know, kind of take all the, the processing tutorials and create sort of this geometric abstract work. Um, and I think Matt, Matt's work, uh, a big part of why it's interesting for, to me is that he comes from sort of this background in more figurative, like, uh, uh, you know, representational uh, paintings and drawings and things it's like that. It's a painter, that. yeah. And, and carries that into sort of programmatic and, and generative art, which is fairly unique, not entirely unique in that we're starting to see more people do that, but Matt's been doing that for a while. So even projects like Gazers that can be seen as sort of abstract, you're still looking at sort of the moon, right? And there's uh, other imagery that he brings in in terms of currency or his works that sort of um, pay tribute to artists like Monet and art history. So his work really stands out aesthetically in a practice on that front. But another thing that kind of makes Matt super OG and like an island uh, and unique on his own is that for me, at least my perception is that a lot of generative artists kind of stayed away from um, crypto art and, and early NFTs because they felt like, well, you know, that's not about what we're about. That's about cryptocurrency and we're not interested in that. And ICOs are scams and this, that and the other. So it wasn't really until like 2021, there was like sort of the Tezos crowd doors opened and a lot of generative artists came in there. So Matt's in there earlier and sort of un unabashedly excited about and, and sharing info about cryptocurrency and, and the blockchain. It's not just like this is a mechanism for him to kind of hang his work on and try to sell it. You know, my perception, and we'll hear from Matt, is that there's a sincere and deep interest in, in a lot of the principles of sort of decentralization and cryptocurrency and blockchain. I don't see that overlap as much with the, the generative artists in the space. Um, so, yeah, those are some some observations. And then I guess, you know, before we kick it over, just I'm always grateful and always thank uh, Matt for 
um, being a part of the, that group that really pushed for artist royalties. So I think I'm known for writing some early stuff in the space about the potential for, for NFTs um, and crypto art. Um, but really, that was just potential. And it took folks like um, Matt and Sparrow and, and other people uh, putting in the work and effort to help guide it in a, a healthier direction. Yeah, you know, Jason, I, I would also say, um, I think you rolled out the red carpet for what the crypto art movement, you know, began as, and uh, what what myself and others have tried to continue it as. Um, I think I think one of the things that I can say, I th- I've already, I think I've told you this, is that, um, you know, you the way you presented crypto art and the way you presented yourself, um, I think you gave the courage to a lot of uh, artists like myself to be ourselves and be like true to ourselves and not try to, um, not you know, not not try to misrepresent ourselves, um, uh, not as human, right? Um, and um, and so I think the crypto art movement has been you know very human centric, and I think you know we we owe you a lot um, for that. You know, uh, it's. You really, you really uh, brought about a beautiful spirit, you know, for for all of us to, you know, continue on with. Appreciate that, man. I'd love to. I'd love to chat about like the. Um, st- does it really start with the Bitcoin volatility project? I feel like it's such, it's such a pure distillation of kind of what what crypto art can be, right? I mean, it's it's um, well, without me sort of speaking to what it is. I mean, can can you tell us a bit about what that project is? Um, and then kind of how, how the idea came about. Yeah, you know, um, with, with that particular piece, I think we have to go all the way back to like 2006 or 2007. Um, I had just moved to Seattle and I was uh, interviewing to get a job uh, at Whole Foods. I was at Seattle Center to, to try and get a job because I, <laughs> I had left teaching and I was now in a oh, new city nice. and uh, needed to find a job. And... Um, what, what ends up happening is I go to get uh, something from a vending machine and I take out a dollar and I kind of like, because I have this this uh, this uh, see, thing where I, I sort of see colors in the absence of colors, um, I sort of saw this dollar bill very colorful and I was like, oh, sweet, this is this is like, I need to I need to make work about currency. Oh, um, man. And I'd, I'd, I'd always like... Uh, my my uh, my mother like took me to the bank box when I was a little boy, and she was showing me like her my grandma my grandfather's uh, wallet, and it had all of this like old currency in it, and you know that stuff like said it was like backed, you know backed by silver or or gold and stuff, and and I was like you know why 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 does why is there current like that was a question I asked when I was really young like why is this backed by silver and suddenly like oh, wow. our money is not. Um, so it kind of like that sort of interest in, in money, you know, um, comes from there. So, so, you know, beginning in, um, I believe it was 2006, like I've lost complete concept of time for myself. I don't know if I moved into Seattle in 2006 or 2007 at this point, (laughs) but, um, I'm traveling through time. Um. In any event, I started. I started a. Uh, I've sort of shifted from my Victorian series, where I was um, painting primarily my ancestors, and I shifted towards um, do, do, doing work about about the dollar. Um, George W. Bush was the president at the time, and he was he was using the term un-American a lot, and so I was uh, cutting up the dollar, and I was shifting words around, you know, to to you know. Uh, 
to have that on on the dollar. And I was thinking about like the cult of personality that exists, uh, especially in America, um, uh, in Western civilization, and and the way that we we put these faces onto our dollars, and what does that mean? And you know, what does it mean? The values that these individuals, you know, are are bringing forth, and what does it mean for us to be like transacting? Uh, with this money that that these you know former you know in their lives they were you know slave owners and you know they 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 you know they were in the case of uh, uh, the twenty dollar bill you know genocide genocidal maniacs perhaps and so it's it's like what does that mean that our country is transacting you know in in these sorts of values and so that 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 was a concept that I began with uh, way back in two thousand six. And one of my problems, <laughs> and I know um, wow. when you ask me a question, I'm going to grapevine my way. <laughs> through, no, through it, it a, makes a so others. it makes so much sense. It makes so much sense, though. I mean, to to actually sort of start from from that depth um, that that I think, like in a way, it sort of shows that the work comes from way inside out rather than yeah. sort of outside in, maybe. Yeah. Um, so, you know, one of the problems I was having back then in 2006 with the work is that obviously currency is is like it's it's um, I don't know. It's it's super intricate. Right. Because um, you had you had artisans who like really knew how to like, you know, engrave work and stuff, uh, the, making brilliantly beautiful, intricate designs on, on our, our currencies. Um, and that was as, as a draftsman, that was that was sort of an issue I had. But um, I was sort of making, I had, I had developed and innovated these ways to, to do these sort of like inkjet transfers onto like um, surfaces like glass and resin and stuff. And then I was like making, you know, uh, backwards paintings and layering resin paintings. And so I was, I was um, working a lot with like printouts and sort of like encapsulating uh, prints, printouts into the layers of resin and stuff. So that was like working out for me aesthetically, but then also it was it there there were there were like limitations and so later on um you, you know um i i think i've spoken about this a lot where uh you know in the middle of making a resin box i i i sort of had this vision of like uh <laughs> the pattern that i was laying down like going out in front of my own hand and realizing like i need software to do this because my philosophy has always been like i don't care what i'm perfect. using to make something um, I, I care about the manifestation of my vision. Um, and, and so it's like, ultimately, I don't care if it's resin. I don't care if it's oil paint. I don't care if it's canvas. I don't care if it's pixels. It's like, is this, am I getting outside of my brain into the world for other people to interact with? Is that an honest, you know, manifestation or not? So in, yeah, in, um, this is 2005, 2006, I realized like, you know, I need to probably learn to code because I don't know anything. <laughs> I don't know anything about coding, and um, uh, yeah. So, so, so. Long story short, you know, uh, in Seattle, I go from you know <laughs> being a teacher in the Chicago area to being you know uh, stocking stocking the shelves of a, a new grocery store in Seattle to then um, starting my way out at a design agency, just sort of like cutting up Photoshop files and kind of like sneaking my way in into like uh, learning HTML and JavaScript and then like leveling up as like from a front end developer, from, from, a, from like a front end producer to be like a front end developer 
and then being like a middle tier and just learning the back end and uh, learning everything I needed in order to um, build my own tools one day. And so, you know, all of this is happening and I'm still working with the currency designs and I'm, and I'm thinking about the potential of, of that. So fast forwarding to like, um, you know, 2014, I start building my own tools finally. Um, it's, I'm, I'm sort of like, it's, my concept is I had lost a friend in um, 2013 and basically it, it put me into a black hole in my life where I was going to make a lot of like destructive choices and I realized like this idea that I've been working with for 10 years, I need to actually like, I actually have time in front of myself because I'm in such a depression from this that I can commit myself and my life to this and actually build a tool of expression for when it's safe to express myself again. Um, because at the time it was like painting was like a no-go for me. So 2014, I start building my tools. Um, it, and I'm in this, like I'm basically like distracting myself um, from my sorrow uh, by dealing with math, like all day, just distracting my feelings, not wow. dealing with my feelings, um, just building these building these tools, dealing with math, because that's like the best way to distract yourself from feeling anything, I guess. Mm, and it so, was like a coping mechanism, actually, it, turning it totally, to something that analytical. Yeah. Totally was. Um, so finally in 2017, um, I was feeling like well enough as a human again, and I was feeling good about all the tools I had built over the last three years that I started um, to actually make art. So finally, this this tool of expression was ready for me to express myself with. And um, it just happened like, gosh, like it would have been like four months into me finally using my tool to make art. And like when I started making my tool, like I started making my tool, I started art. making beautiful oh, yeah. paintings and I started really taking, you know, the, the, the concepts in my, from my art studio with my figurative work. And I, as, as Jason said, and thank you for that, um, I, was, I was starting to really roll what I, what I was doing um, as a figurative painter with layering my, my uh, generative algorithms and stuff. And it was like, it was working out beautifully. And so in um, July, June or July, yeah, June of 2017, um, I read an article on Quora and I screenshotted it, and that's how I know the exact day and time that it that it happened because I was screenshot in the habit of screenshotting things that were interesting to me. Um, I it was an article about um, art on blockchain and the potential of that, and it mentioned royalties. And immediately, like I got it because like years before, I I was a gallery represented artist. I had talked to my gallerist about like, hey, can we? Um, can, uh, can we put into like the the sales contracts like so that I can get royalties if someone resells this and can we put into the sales contract exactly. so that I can borrow the work for a future retrospective if that ever happens and she was like that's not the way it works Matt <laughs> so <laughs> traveling back <laughs> forward from 2000, wow. <laughs> 2004 to back to 2017 like oh, that's man. that's what happens in my brain when i read about art on blockchain and the potential is like is this conversation i had with my gallerist where i was kind of like shot down like that's not the way things work in the traditional art world and i was like i had already sort of accepted that i had abandoned what i was doing in the traditional art world and i and i had accepted like digital art really has no foothold i you know i i don't have a way to like 
put put these beautiful paintings now onto like a USB drive and like gold encrust them, diamond stud them, and like put them in a cedar box so that a gallery will like show them to a collector. Like that's lame. Um, so so and I already understood about Bitcoin. I had I had my own pizza moment um, learning about it early, and so I understood I understood like the potential <laughs> immediately. It was just kind of like brain exploding wow. moment. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's, you know, and then like a year, you know, I start just watching this. I, I immediately um, at the time Google for, you know, art blockchain art galleries and stuff, because I'm sort of of, this, of the paradigm of like, I need representation. I need a gallery. I'm still thinking that way, that way like embarrassingly. I'm, I, you know, I'm thinking that way then. Um, but no, none of that like comes around until uh, a year later in like 2018. Um, when, uh, you know, rareart.io and known origin and data and super rare, uh, start popping up. And then Jason starts, you know, I'm, I, I, I know Jason from the, ha you know, hashtag generative art <laughs> and hashtag processing. Um, and so he starts, you know, to tweet a lot more about, um, this thing called crypto art and I'm watching that and, um, you know, so to answer your question about how how did volatility start, it's you know it started all the all the way back then, and and marched all the way up. So when I finally you know found crypto art, it was like, oh, it's time to finally start you know restart this series um, that that you know dealing with currency and like and like do it like wow. honoring my original manifestation of like how I want how I want to interact with these patterns and. Um, intricacies so that's you know that's more or less wow. where volatility uh got started art after all is and i could say more before we it, move but, from that though yeah. i i don't want to well i don't want to let you off the hook and i because i want to know about your bitcoin pizza moment and what you spent that money on oh i can't you know i'm not going to get into that story because i think um it, I, I, that's really <laughs> it'll change people's perceptions Was this like silk road much. silk road days <laughs> you know i'm gonna no. leave it a mystery <laughs> even better that way i was just gonna follow up uh matt one of the things that was sort of interesting in you sharing sort of the background there was that on the one hand you were saying like you don't have shame in any particular using any particular tool to build out your work like you'll just use pixels paint whatever is there but mm -hmm. then, you know, you proceed to sort of talk about how you built your own tools, right? Um, and I think that yeah. there is something to be said for um, when people build their own tools, it, there is some, it adds a layer of uniqueness to their style. Um, and I wonder how you reconcile sort of those two statements. Like, you know, you were kind of saying, well, I'll use any tool that it takes to get these things out of my head. But then it sounds like you put a, a fair amount of time into building your own tools. Did you find there were limitations in the existing tools that drove that process? And maybe what were some of those uh, limitations? Yeah, uh, you know, immediate, like going back to 2005, when I had that, like, realization, like, oh, I need to code. Um, I went home and like, I, I googled if there was Google, maybe it was Alta Vista search <laughs> back then. But I, I searched for um, you know Photoshop plugins to find like is there a way for basically to create like 
patterns of colors like when you drop a brush and there's <laughs> there's not <laughs> and so it was you know it was just pretty clear to me like oh i'm gonna have to learn to code and i don't know <laughs> i don't know how i love that sort of self-taught approach i think of other artists like espen Cluj, who is a, another sort of self-taught artist who ends up with sort of his own very unique style because didn't necessarily go to school for computer science and thinks of himself as an artist first. And I think there's some, some similarities there. The other comment that I was going to make, and I don't know, maybe this sounds pretentious, but it was interesting how you were saying sort of during your depression, um, you know, having these increasingly challenging sort of mathematical or code-based things, you know, helped pull you out. I remember my dad always had this book by uh, Bertrand Russell, the philosopher Bertrand Russell, um, on the bookshelf, the adult bookshelf growing up, the one that wasn't supposed to be for us kids. And I would reach up oh, and pull nice. it out. It was called The, the Conquest of, of Happiness. And there was this page that had like a, a um, with highlighter, a section that where he talks about how basically he was a suicidal teenager, but it was just the, the promise of increasingly challenging math problems is what kept him alive. So, you know, and I think we can all sort of relate with maybe it's not math even, but we can relate with this sense that having sort of um, a lifelong uh, project that that continuously challenges us and opens itself up to us in interesting ways. Um, and, and it feels like you sort of have that. I mean, all artists have things that drive them, but it does feel like there's a thread, like you feel like almost like there's a thread of continuity through all your work that kind of goes back to the beginning. Is that fair? Yeah, no, that's very fair. And I can relate to that sentiment that you just shared from uh, Bertrand Russell. When is stuff art? <laughs> <laughs> when, so I, I want to know a bit like about, you know, how, how you came to also sort of like understand um, the value system within like this, this community, particularly as it applies to royalties. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and, and as best you can, I guess, like, because this is a conversation that's happening today. So, so I do, I do want us to sort of speak a bit to that for people listening, but as, as being the person who went through that, um, I wonder if there, if there are, if there is a bit of, wisdom in having gone through it for people who are, are basically going to have to continuously make that fight. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I sort of saw it at the time. I remember, you know, when I, when I brought, uh, like, I think there was about 20 artists that I brought into a private discord, um, to chat about, you know, what we wanted to do about royalties because essentially uh, Super Rare had dropped it from 10% down to 3% when they released their V2 contract. Um, and essentially, you know, Super Rare was actually doing really cool things um, to get the word out about different artists. And then I was seeing those artists jump over to known origin that had 0% royalties. And I was kind of like, why, why are these artists disrespecting themselves in this way and disrespecting super rare and disrespecting like this larger ethos of what like the future is depending on us to create? Um, and I think, I think for a long time I was waiting for folks, um, other folks other than myself to speak up. I'm a very like uh, introverted person and coming from like, just coming from that space that I described that had started in 2013, um, even though I started expressing myself with my tools in 2017, I didn't really, I wasn't becoming extroverted until, <laughs> until really there, you know, 2019, I really like, 
plucked myself out and forced myself through the fires of you know doing a little public speaking um and then and then the royalty thing it was i was really just waiting um for someone with a voice to speak up and i realized like in march uh, when we didn't know what covid was but if that was that was spreading across the country um and um I don't think it really like interceded with my thinking, but it was just, I was seeing how the space was moving and I was like, we got to move forward, not backwards. Um, and so that's, that's sort of, you know, where I was coming from bringing those artists together. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we were able to accomplish that within a month and the pandemic had happened. And, um, you know, I mean, to, to frame that, you know, I mean, people were scared. People were like having groceries delivered and leaving them on their front stoop to get sunlight. And we were spraying with alcohol all of our groceries. Um, you know, we couldn't fly anymore. Uh, you know, uh, flights from the U.S. to Europe uh, and other countries were shut down. So it was and, and the markets had completely tanked. So it was a very scary moment. And all of those artists, you know, who, who signed their name to that and then spoke up publicly on, on Twitter um, to get behind that, they were really, you know, taking, we were, we had finally just gotten to the point where we were, okay, maybe we can make a decent living on our art. Maybe we can continue selling our art for a couple hundred dollars a little over a thousand dollars maybe a couple thousand dollars that's where we were and we were like oh i can actually you know maybe quit my day job maybe i don't have to take another job this year you know building websites that that's where people people were at at that time and they were still real, willing to risk you know upsetting collectors upsetting the platforms upsetting investors they were willing to like put their name down and be like royalties are something that artists deserve artists deserve to participate in their own success i think myself coming from that background where i have you know stretched an eight foot by six foot canvas and busted open my knuckles doing so you know i understand what what a lifetime of that sort of physical grueling work does um and and it you know it takes a toll and it's not fair to expect you know uh an, an artist who's aging to compete with their younger selves that you know and i think when when um lawrence lee brought that up you know and lawrence lee is a fantastic painter who he i mean super regarded you know in the southwest uh genre paintings um and really had had the sort of like career as a painter you know showing in galleries and um really you know developing you know being collected by museums and fantastic collectors he really had the sort of career that i as like a younger man you know 20 years old really would have looked up to you know and um and so and so when he shared his story i was you know the first first i mean i sort of was like okay we're going to be able to do this because i saw like the human story i saw the potential because i knew like me on my own mm. i can't communicate the importance of what this is but he really galvanized us with that story first thing i did was i i bought one of his works for anith which at the time was a lot um for for what art was going for um and i scribed it um conlon ha has a tool 
where you can encrypt a message onto the blockchain called Scribe. And I scribed a message and it, it went, I, I said something like, you know, you have just changed the course of history, future history for all artists, you know, um, by sharing your story, Lawrence. Um, and because because I like I wanted to put, you know, a timestamp on the blockchain, like what I was about mm. to do with these other artists. It hadn't happened yet, but I, I like I knew I knew like it just I, I, I felt it in my bones. Um, Into the future. I, again, really, I'm not answering you your question. <laughs> no, but what, I mean, no, it's, it's all it's all absolutely relevant. I mean, but what you were what you were able to accomplish, obviously, with Sparrow and, and all of the other artists who signed that letter, it was like it's a huge success story. Uh, it, in it, within within any industry, right? And I feel like it, it is like um, it's such a significant accomplishment. But I guess too to flash forward to now 2022, 2023, right? And like and like technology is constantly being built to sort of like liberate itself from itself in these ways, right? To become more free, right? Mm-hmm. And especially in this particular sphere, right? To to continue to undo any sort of rule or any limitation that's placed on these tokens. Um, so it's like, you know, I, I, I know PseudoSwap, OX Mons, like does incredible work, right? Um, the idea of creating like more flexible marketplaces that, that tokens can be traded for any, any types of tokens can be traded for any other types of tokens is, is actually, it's an exciting idea, right? Um, to sort of like free up a market in, in those particular ways. But as far as like protecting the the residuals and the royalties for the artists, sort of like how how do we how do we how do we shore that up? How is that something that we continue to like keep relevant to the conversation of technology constantly trying to undo that? You know I what think, I mean? Yeah, you know, I I go back and I I, I think we continue the way we started, and and it's a, it's culture. It, it has to start with, with, within us, within our hearts. The change that we're, you know, all the change we're making in the world right now in terms of technology, um, AI, blockchain, crypto, um, the change, the, the most important change that we can make is in the human heart and, and the respect we have for one another and wanting future generations to actually be born into a fairer world. You know, the, the promise of, of Bitcoin, uh, it's concerned with, with, um, the welfare of the many over the profit of the few, um, you know, and there's this this censorship resistance, um, and and there's borderlessness, you know. And over the last year, um, you know, I I I love Known Origin. I've I've um, collected a lot of work there, and I'm happy for the founders. But when they sold to eBay and some of some of the the artists who were living in um, countries you know, that, that, that America has sanctions with, that they were booted off, you know, that's an attack on the borderless nature of, of the ethos of crypto. And um, what we're seeing right now with OpenSea uh, coercing artists into, um, you know, basically op- opening a back door onto their contracts for OpenSea um, and, and to, to basically uh, go against their competitors, um, that's, that's, it's it's like this super censorship, right? Um, it, it's it, and it's and it's yeah. It's it. So I think I think I, I, and I've been seeing um, people speaking up, and that's one of the that's one of the best things that I see is that like 
it's not always me speaking up. I don't have to I don't have to say something every time something wrong is happening because I spoke up back in 2020 and that's rolled out sort of this butterfly effect of other like the one thing I wanted, you know, to have an effect on is make people care. And I did. I made people care, <laughs> you know. And and um yeah. And so so now you have you you have others who are speaking up and I think so so I think it's really the culture is is greater than the technology and if we lose sight of that the technology really has no value i mean to me in my opinion no that's music to my ears for sure i mean the only value that the tech has is sort of the the, the context around it and the stories that are attached to it i'd say and the culture that sort of springs and evolves from it right i want to hear i want to hear about the the new work map but before we go there i do want you know while we're talking about culture I think some people feel sort of sandboxed in um, when they come into this space around like, oh, I'm going to be like an Ethereum artist or I'm going to be like, I'm more about Bitcoin or or I do Tezos or whatever. And I think another thing that when I look at you as an artist or a participant in these communities, maybe plural, um, is a, a, a willingness or a seamlessness around uh, sort of paying tribute or freely moving between all groups, right? So I'm thinking of like your Rare Pepe work, which is sort of a, a nod or a salute to some of the um, the crypto art history there. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, maybe to put it more in, in the terms of a question, um, how do you think about sort of the, the, the micro tribes or micro communities within the larger community and, you know... Uh, Am I, is there something there that I'm picking up on in, in terms of sort of a unique ability or willingness to kind of just surf from community to community um, that, that might be a little unique to you? Or how do you think about that? I, I was like that in high school. I've always been, uh, you know, someone who's gone between groups and is like able to make friends with everyone. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, the little micro tribes and stuff, it's like they have a lot more in common than I think they have, you know, not in common a lot of the times. Um, and, and I think they get caught up in sort of like what they don't have in common, but really, I, I, I ultimately, hopefully, you know, they're, they're really working towards, you know, similar goals. Um, in, in terms of like my honoring, um, rare Pepe, it, it's for, for me, that's like, I, I love lineage in art, in art history. And I love sort of like, you know, drawing a line through history when I honored, you know, Monet, uh, you know, uh, and, and I, I had, do, I had done a whole, first of all, you know, I, I grew up in Chicago and they, you know, the art Institute has like one of the greatest collections of Monet. And so I had like a great experience as a child, like just relating to his work as like, a kid who's doing science fair projects and realizing like his work is basically, you mm. know, his paintings are basically using, you know, the same sort of experimental like control group and experimental of weather and, you know, change of seasons and stuff. So um, that's how I, that's how I encountered Monet was like, as this, you know, young, you know, uh, scientist wannabe. Um, uh, so, so I've always, you know, wanted to honor like this, this lineage that happens, um, through history of, you know, artists building on top of other artists work and, you know, learning from that. And, and so I think, you know, um, 
when I when I had that uh, opportunity to show at um, Sotheby's, um, it was it was a really it was cool because then I could you know sort of bring that back to like rare Pepe and be like yeah I've honored Monet and now I'm gonna honor uh, the Nakamoto card you know and be like because mm. in my like from my stance from my perspective you know as an artist with where I've been and where I'm going both are just like on parallels right in terms of their importance um and so it's it's really for me it's it's, it's about dead. sort of creating that lineage and the line through history that you know artists are constantly creating whether they acknowledge it or not that's a bold ass gutsy move right i mean you sort of said it without saying it by by paying tribute to those two artists but i think there's such a um a a, a lack of um value for most artists like anyone who's tried to make it as an artist let me just be more direct knows how freaking hard it is to get anyone to pay attention so sometimes you can find yourself when you're starting to get success to take fewer risks because it's so freaking hard to get any success right so at a time when you're starting to experience success you know things like Sotheby's and like that come knocking to put uh, Rare Pepe on the same platform as Monet is freaking awesome, right? I mean, it's just not, uh, it, it would be very easy for you to, to, to move the other direction and sort of hide the roots. And I think the, the people that have actually kept, even when we could say, oh, now we're part of this old traditional art world now and we can kind of sweep our roots underneath and like, you know, almost um, clean out our history as having been sort of interested in the blockchain and all in cryptocurrency, all, all of that. I think it's the folks that continually hold it back up and say, no, this is what's unique and important about all of this, like that, that I really appreciate. So yeah, I guess kudos to you for like, you know, at a time when, when you could have just as easily picked Monet and Mondrian or someone else to, to uphold Pepe as sort of core and critical to the history of crypto art and what makes all of this stuff That's unique good. and special. Also, how absolutely correct that came. For sure. Like, a lot of times Before, there's just, like, yeah. no question about the choices I'm making. Sometimes in my life, um, I feel a lot of the times, like, like I've been here before, like I've lived this life 25 times and I've made some of the same choices and maybe I'm making different choices in this life. Um, but, but they feel right this time. It feels, it feels like I'm going down, um, the path, the path I'm meant to. And, uh, I don't know without getting too woo or anything like it's just, uh, mm. I, I, I feel, I feel, I feel sort of guided at times. Um, and, you know, maybe maybe it's really just my own intuition, but whatever it is, it's you know, it's it's guiding me, and it's it, it's it feels right when I make these choices. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm trying to figure out if you can rhyme. It's completely like side topic. If you could rhyme Monet and Pepe, Pepe Monet as like a slant rhyme or something like that. It's just the way my head completely. works. Completely. Like, Monet, <laughs> Pepe. Yeah. On the next episode, Bailey's going to bring us back a verse. Yeah, you know, I, I love beat. the freestyle rap. So, that, yeah, I might have, <laughs> I might, by, by the end of this episode, we'll see if, I, if I've got something there. So, Matt, I know you had a chance to talk to Dan yesterday about some of this, uh, the, the new project that you have. Going I did get a work. sneak peek. And I did not get yet get a sneak peek. 
Um, nor maybe, depending on when we release this, will our, our listeners yet have gotten a sneak peek or at least maybe not the opportunity to go a little bit deeper. So I'd love to hear more about what, what you're up to, what you're working on, what this uh, the, the next project is about. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the next project is called Etch, uh, and it's a collaboration with DECA. Um, essentially, like DECA, uh, I got introduced to DECA... Uh, Han at DECA uh, in August, um, and they came to me with this idea of, you know, we, we really want to, like, have a... They, DECA has done a fantastic job of uh, giving collectors and artists an ability of creating um, galleries uh, within their ecosystem. Um, and what they want to start doing is uh, bringing, you know, bringing conversation and bringing, like, the ability to have meaningful prose about our NFTs um, stored, uh, you know, on, on the same technologies that we trust our JPEGs. Um, for me, that was like, yes, please. Um, uh, obviously, like, I'm, I'm an old school uh, user of Conlon's tool Scribe, and I've incorporated Scribe, you know, encrypting, you know, um, words onto the blockchain um, for, for the last three or four years. Um, and, and, and so for, for me, it was like, yes, we need, you know, we need to do this in a, in a more scalable way. Um, and one of the ideas that they brought to the table was, you know, we, you know, we'd like to have, you know, like, like, like they were doing with Decagon, um, they, they want, you know, a generative artwork that sort of represents every, every, um, sort of, uh, piece of conversation that happens around NFTs. And I was like, cool. Um, and it got me thinking about infinity because obviously like if we're going to be, be able to write, you know, write things about all NFTs, whether we own them or not, like we're really dealing with, with the infinite nature in an infinite nature. And this is I going to be an infinite mint. Um, and so I, I went back to this algorithm that I started, I think in 2016 that, that, um, it really was dealing with like, I think, you know, for, for myself, like with the cosmos and I like, I like dealing with, you know, astronomy and, you know, uh, those sort of, uh, astral images. And, um, and, and so I, I went to this algorithm and I was like, if, if the artistic medium that I'm really dealing with, um, our conversations and the wider community and the future, then I really need to like go to an algorithm that I can, um, that starts out with a point of, of sort of having a commonality. And so I took this algorithm, I started iterating upon it to build that. And I started looking um, at, uh, you know, sacred geometry that, that occurs, you know, in, in imagery throughout all, you know, human religions. And I started looking at like cellular Ooh. biology and I started looking at, you know, you know, Hubble telescope uh, photos, and and I started to like look at like what what is the through line to the human experience to just the the the, the living experience to the communication that we have, um, and so that's 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 sort of the 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 artwork that I've created, and so what people are going to be able to do is they're going to be able to go on to Deca, they're going to be able to search for an NFT whether it's in their their wallet or outside. Um, and they're going to be able to 
um, write something very beautiful, hopefully, uh, about, you know, why they collected what they collected, why they wish they could collect what they weren't able to afford to. Maybe they tell a story of regret, you know, but essentially behind all of, all of you know, our data on Etherscan um, are stories. And, you know, it, NFTs for as much as they do provenance really well telling, you know, who bought what from who, when did they buy it, what did they buy, uh, for how much. We're not talking about why they bought it, you know, or what, they, what that made them feel or why they believe in that artist. And so this, this new project, Etch, is really a way for people to tell those stories and add that provenance and add that, um, that social proof of who they are, you know, a proof of patronage even, um, and, and tell, tell those stories. And so after they write, um, they're I've created a tool um, of expression that they're going to be able to, you know, click generate on, and then they're going to be able to tweak it with some sliders and some buttons. Um, if they find a composition they really love, they'll be able to iterate on color. I'm drawing, um, the first thing my algorithm does is it, uh, it looks for all the frequently used colors in, in a, a, an NFT's um, metadata image, and it averages them and gives me sort of a palette to start with. And as a, as a color, you know, someone who loves color theory uh, and writing algorithms around that, as I did in Gazers, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm pulling those colors in. I'm looking for other sort of color relationships that I can pull into this, to this sort of spirit of dialogue. Uh, that's how I'm sort of thinking of, of what the visual output is, is, you know, they're writing a dialogue, having a dialogue with an artwork. And, and what if there's a spirit of dialogue that develops from that? Um, and so that sort of takes on this visual representation for them. Um, and it has a, it has a beautiful zoom feature. <laughs> yeah, they're very cool, yeah. and it's like a very cool way of really getting a a Matt Kane piece. Actually, like a one of one Matt Kane piece. A Matt Kane collaboration, absolutely. So let me let just play it back to see if I fully understand yeah. it because it sounds fascinating. So if I go on to Deca, any other piece that I see in someone else's collection, um, which I could have any relationship to, whether I kind of uh, wished I had it in my collection, or I used to have it and no longer have it, or I bought it, or I just really love the artist, or maybe I don't like the artist. Uh, not that that's necessarily what you know you wouldn't want to promote, but mm -hmm. I can weigh in in uh, with sort of an expanded provenance, a uh, crowdsourced provenance. Um, on that work and provenance has always meant more than just buying and selling in chain of command like it's always been about the documentation like where mm -hmm. it was exhibited and how it was received so you so there's sort of an expanded provenance which is a my written um, thoughts which will be sort of added to the chain for for all time and eternity and for everyone else to access but you've now created also in addition to my written portion uh, uh, an artwork that derives um, some of its qualities from them writing about and is there an overlap between my my writing and the sort of um, dynamic generative work that you've created like what what's the overlap there like how are those things kind of sure. together or are they you know so so originally we saw a beautiful poetry and creating a transaction hash from what you write but then as we, we were iterating upon, upon building the product, we realized, like, if you miss a comma and you need to go back and update your words after you've spent time, like, creating the visual, 
um, that's going to blow away what you've created visually. So what we're doing instead is we're creating the the original transaction hash that you um, uh, you, you express yourself and change from um, from your 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 uh, your wallet address, so your identity, along with to the millisecond that you begin your dialogue with this artwork. Um, I use you know of course time you know is a medium a lot, and so it, it felt like you know let's 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 find that moment in time and use that as a, in a meaningful way. Um, but That's yeah, your good. words will be stored on um, AR Weave. Got it. So it's it's sort of a collaboration between you, the person who's sort of writing out their response or a sentiment, and the the artist of the original uh, work that's being commented on, right? Um, kind of a, a three way mm -hmm. collaboration, if if I understand it correctly. Um, yeah. Which is uh, super super cool. I'm always I always sort of th you know I think everyone gets nostalgic for whenever they first came into the crypto art space, but I always get nostalgic about just how experimental it was and how you know as years go by we kind of fall into this like okay upload your jpeg hit hit make you know nft and everyone's kind of like it's far less in some ways experimental so i always get excited when i see people doing things that are like sort of entirely new paradigms right like uh, and it feels mm -hmm. like this kind of lands in that area yeah. Where where can we? That's on Deca's site. Yeah. That yeah. That'll be integrated uh, very very deeply within the Deca website, um, and it's going to be at deca.art/etch um, is is where you'll be able to um, find that to get started with that. Um, but there's etch is only the beginning of the story, um, so etch is actually a living artwork. And it has the potential uh, to transform itself. And where it has the potential to transform itself is if somebody lifts it. Now, if you can imagine um, in traditional printmaking, you have um, a copper plate that you've incised into and you've inked and you've laid down a sheet of paper and then you lift to print. Um, so we've developed a separate smart contract called Lift. And so if somebody comes and they, they, are, they want to support what you've written or they see the visual, the state of the, of the uh, spirit of dialogue, and they're like, I really love that, I want that, then they're able to lift that. They're able to, and a lift is a static artwork. So it's just, you know, you can, it's, a, it's still a generative artwork, so it still has code. It can be recreated, you know, with, with code, you know, infinite, to infinite scale and everything, you know, as, as vectors do. Um, but, but um when they do that, when they when they create a lift, your artwork as as the etch, it will transform. It will sort of you can think of it a little bit like a like a flower where it blooms, and so so the artwork's going to transform every time. So if you own an etch that you've written, you're going to oh, know wow. when somebody has has lifted it because um, you're going to see the artwork transform. You're also um, if you hold on to the to the etches that you create. Um, you'll also see your your account balance rise a little bit when someone creates a uh, a lift because um, we're creating a holder economy. So it's a, like a, a creator economy, but we made it a holder economy. The reason why we did that is obviously as a creator, you automatically become the holder. And then you have the choice of whether to send that to someone else. The person you send it to, you might want to benefit from your writing, right? So Myself as a collector, I'm going to create, you know, an etch of every single NFT that I've collected because I want to contextualize my entire NFT collection. If the promise of blockchain 
um, is, is to, to uh, sustain our data 100, 200 years. I want future historians to be able to come back and understand the context of why I collected what I collected because I'm telling, you know, in my, in my story as a collector, you know, that's also sort of telling my own stories because I'm seeing myself in a lot of the work that I'm collecting. Um, and I've been, you know, thoughtfully collecting work, you know, that I've kind of thought like tells my, <laughs> tells my story as well uh, from an autobiographical point. But um, so me as a collector, uh, I don't sell my NFTs. Um, and so no, none of these artists who I really believe in are seeing secondary sale royalties. So it's just a one time piece of support from me because they've done their job as an artist too well, which is kind of a bummer because like. I would want them to like there to be a way for them to benefit from from being so awesome, right? So I can write an etch. Forget forget that I created etch, right? I can just make my own etch as a collector, and I can s send that to the artist that I wrote the etch about, and then I own their NFT, and they own my etch, they own my words, and anyone who comes along and creates a lift that artist is going to benefit from what I wrote about their work. And to me, that's, that's a beautiful provenance that's created. Um, we've also talked to charities and charities are going to come in um, and they're going to etch their mission statements. And then they're going to ask, um, uh, ask the public, go lift our mission statement. And so what happens when you lift a mission statement, it creates this sort of like micro donation happening to the charity. Um, and on top of lifts, we've added the ability to add an additional financial gift. Um, the, 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 you know, the micro donation, it, 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 it essentially it, it amounts to a very small amount. Um, uh, it, it's um, I think we're starting it out that it's point zero zero four to create a lift. Um, and 70% of that is going to uh, uh, the holder of a lift. But we've added um, the function to add an additional financial gift, 100% of which goes to the holder. So when you go and you lift um, a charity's mission statement, you can say, I really love this charity. I want to add you know, 0.2 ETH to this. 100% of the 0.2 ETH is going to go to that charity. So it's, it's really becoming... A, a beautiful social proof and of course like your your living artwork the etch is transforming and so so if if you you know if you're checking in on your etch you're going to see you know that sort of you know beautiful transformation happen um because i because we've we talked a lot uh deca and myself about just you know the conversations that happen about these artworks and how our understanding of an artwork changes the more people who enter a conversation and so i wanted to honor that um visually and have that those transformations happen giga brain matt kane changing the game yet again <laughs> art gnome you know what that sound means does that mean pre-roll or does that mean it's time for my favorite segment 22 random questions you know what it means both of those things right. pre-roll pre and then we get to the questions. The realm of possibility. Are your NFTs built to last? Sadly, the truth is probably not. 
about 40% of NFTs store the images and the artwork and the metadata all off-chain on private servers owned by the marketplaces. So when the marketplaces go under, poof, there goes the value of your NFT. And less than 10% of NFTs actually store all the files on-chain, and that's because it's really, really expensive. That leaves 50% of NFTs which use IPFS. The great news is, for your IPFS NFTs, as long as you create a local backup, you can always restore your NFTs in the future. Go to clubnft.com and create a free backup today. So what the hell is RTU? The realm of possibility. The infinity of self. Alright, alright, alright. Now, for my absolute favorite portion, uh, 22-ish random questions where Dan and I take turns alternating asking our guest a whole bunch of strange and random questions designed to get to understand our guests um, in ways that maybe we wouldn't otherwise. These are questions you probably won't ever hear them be asked on any other interview and we feel like collectively they kind of just flesh out uh, people a little bit more. We get to know some of their, uh, you know, their, their nuance uh, a little bit better. So with that, Matt, welcome to 22-ish Random Questions, and we are going to start with an easy one, which is, what do you, it's not what did, but what do you eat for breakfast? That's interesting. What did you eat for breakfast? Easy question. What do you eat for breakfast? A little, little bit more challenging. Eggs. Every day, eggs. Eggs every day. How do you, how do you, what kind of eggs? Sorry, what did you say, Dan? What kind of eggs? Like, what do you do to these eggs? Oh, all kinds of different eggs. You know, you got poached eggs, fried oh. eggs, scrambled eggs. <laughs> I'll turn into Forrest Gump or uh, Bubba Gump about uh, eggs. <laughs> such, such a, I was thinking Cool Hand Luke. That's such a Cool Hand Luke answer. You know, the I can eat 40 eggs is, uh, is very Cool Hand Luke. <laughs> all right, I love it. Question number two, describe the state of your bed right now. It's made. It's uh, but but very disheveledly made. It's just like you give you give the top sheet one good whoop and you you let it fall where it does. That is exactly how Generative I do it. Generative bed making, yeah. uh, you know, accept the chaos. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, pencil or pen and preferred brand, please, Matt Kane. Oh, pencil. And instead of telling you a. Uh, I'll go with a uh, number nine. A number nine Do, pencil. Doesn't so it's not so much the, the brand. brand oh, just a number yeah. nine. Yeah, it's more like the lead weight. So I like really light pencil, obviously. But sharp. Oh, they're nice. You can, you can turn it into a weapon. <laughs> that's, that's unexpected, actually. <laughs> How old were you when you received your first computer? Oh, um... I think I was, I was, yeah, I would think I was like two or three. We had a TI-99 4A, so that like accepted cartridges. And then you could also plug in um, a cassette recorder into that. And I remember maybe I was like four or five. Um, like you could copy code from a book and it would record onto like the cassette tape. And one time I was curious, like, what would happen if I put my sister's um, Madonna cassette in there and, like, try to play the code and um, error. And, but fortunately, like, it, it did not destroy the Madonna tape, fortunately or unfortunately. There, there's no way to destroy Madonna. Many have tried, but it's just not, it's not possible. Um, favorite writer, author, or speaker? 
Who's best with words? Oh, man. It's a tie for me between Leonard Cohen and Charles Bukowski. I, I go between the two often. Do you have a favorite arcade game? Go with Pac-Man. Miss Pac-Man. What's the difference? Actually, I was at an arcade yesterday, and I saw Mrs. Pac-Man, and I, I mean, I, I should have inquired myself, but do you know the difference apart from the, the, the bow in the hair? The difference for me is longing. There's a memory I have as a child where I saw the Miss Pac-Man game, and I wasn't allowed to go play it. And so there is this deep longing to go play Miss Pac-Man. I think it's because of the bow. Can we unpack that a bit? Why? Why were you allowed to play Pac? <laughs> were, were you allowed to play Pac-Man, but but not Miss Pac-Man? Is there like a gender thing here, or like? I think so. I think there was. You know, my my sister, uh, she wanted a sister. My sister's like nine years older than me. Um, and, and because she wanted a, a little sister, she was always like dressing me up in her doll clothes and stuff. And so, I don't know, that might have naturally made me want to, you know, play Miss Pac-Man instead. Go towards, go towards the bow and the hair, since that's, that's the treatment yeah, I was getting from so, her. So we, that, that's the first time we're <laughs> sharing that story publicly, and she'll, she'll laugh. We still, we still, we still I, joke about, you know, how I'm her little sister <laughs> with a, I, a big beard. I, I love that, but who, who, what is this force that was pre preventing you from playing Miss Pac-Man? Was it like your parents or like you just didn't have a, the quarter or like what was, you know, it, it sounds like there was a longing, but. Jason's asking because he's really visualizing this bookshelf that his parents wouldn't let him yeah, touch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, it, <laughs> it, it, it was. I had a real problem as a child, like asking to do things. Um, uh, the, the sort of communication that would happen between myself and my parents, I, for some reason, I was like scared to ask to do things. And I would just sort of like hope that they were reading my mind or something. Um, and and uh, yeah, it probably well, all comes it. down to unresolved childhood trauma. <laughs> to the next question. <laughs> totally related what's your preferred pizza topping <laughs> um sausage and mushrooms <laughs> and le least favorite topping oh, probably anchovies although i don't dislike any food really probably you know if it's if it's like rancid and came from the garbage or was dropped on the floor like all of those are real possibilities <gasps> so I just needed to get that question out of the way so we could get Bailey back to the childhood questions. You, go, I, go you know I love childhood Jason. questions. Right? This is like, uh, secretly I'm playing like therapist through these 22 yeah. questions. So, um, yeah, favorite animated series as a child? Oh, you know, He-Man. He-Man and She-Ra. Um, that's what comes to mind. Yes! Yes. Do you have a, a favorite? So, He-Man doesn't get enough. Uh, so love. within within the world of Narnia, which I think is, or is that where He-Man comes from? Narnia? I forget where he comes from. But within the He-Man universe, do you have a favorite um, non-He-Man Shiro, like secondary, tertiary character, like you know how there was like Ram Man and all these other ones? Like, yeah, was was there a particular like favorite? Yeah, Manny faces, you know, and with the yeah. action figure, you could like switch the faces. Yes. The toys were so great, like Moss Man and Skunkor and all of that. Like, but yeah, oh, Manny completely. Faces was solid. They all sound like Matt Fury characters to me. <laughs> 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 you 
You have the next one, babe? Oh, it's me, It's you, right? dude. Matt, what's what's one vice Where that you'll openly we? admit? Oh. Um, walks. <laughs> I want to walk every day. And if I don't, <laughs> you don't want to know me. <laughs> he says that I think through that, laughter, I think <laughs> through maniacal laughter. I think that's probably a good definition for a vice. If you don't have it, you're kind of more of a miserable and sick and unwell person. So, yeah, I understand. So if if Matt hasn't had his walk for the day and he comes at you with a really sharp light lead pencil, you know it's a you know you might want to get a little distance. I think is, is show him to the Miss Pac-Man. Yeah, show him to the Miss exactly to the Miss Pac-Man machine. Matt, an, an often overlooked aspect, I like this question, an often overlooked aspect of your personality is? Oh, my humor. But maybe it's not overlooked, but I feel like maybe it is. <laughs> you think people take you seri- like <laughs> more serious than necessary, or like always serious and don't realize that you've got a, a yeah. good sense of humor? Yeah, I think so. I, th- I think there's actually <laughs> a lot of humor that I inject into my art very subtly. Um, and yeah, in fact, like one of my heroes, like Um, when I was a teenager and probably mm -hmm. one of the reasons I became an artist was like Andy Kaufman, because originally I wanted to be like a, a a comedy writer. Um, and it, and it was really like through Andy Kaufman that I was really like opened my eyes to like, you know, the performance art and like what, what art can be like, take what's, what he's doing in performance art and, uh, and if you can bring that to like, what I'm doing, painting, that's cool. <laughs> Very cool. Mm, cool. What's your favorite? What's your favorite era of art? If you had to choose. Oh, impressionism. That makes sense. Can I ask why? The rebels. Yeah, the 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 rebels. You know, I was really drawn to them um, in my early twenties. Because they they rebelled against the system and they they changed history, and I think you know that listen that's that's one of the, my access points to crypto art was impressionism because Absolutely. I was like a fan of like what they did socially. Absolutely. Love that. I mean that entire movement springing from like sort of we'll fuck the traditional spaces and the schools and the gatekeepers and we'll start our own salons. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of salons. What is one aspect of your neighborhood that you would like to change? <laughs> Traffic. <laughs> so I have to, in order, so, so in order, I, I, I walk towards this like really beautiful wooded area and then around a lake. But in order to get to this area, I have to deal with like a bit of traffic and the sounds of traffic. And it's just, it's, it's like, I, I want to leave my house and already be in my vibe, you know? <laughs> Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> Good answer. Matt, what's what's one piece of art that you'd like to own but don't? Oh. I would I would like to like to own any Degas. Any Degas, uh preferably uh ballerinas. And there's one particular at the Art Institute I would totally just like take off the wall, put under my coat and walk out the door. <laughs> uh sculpture or, or yeah, painting because he did art. both, right? For the ballerinas painting but i love the challenge of 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 taking that hefty uh bronze like that bronze that was my first thought matt kane trying to drag like a a, like thousand many thousand pound sculpture (laughs) 
<laughs> the door. <laughs> Without damaging that like ancient tool ballerina dress. Just you the know. sound of it as he's pulling it and it's going down stair by stair, like boom, 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 down, down each stair. I think it would be uh, amazing. Um, so I'm gonna make this one into a choose your own adventure. Dan has sort of I can I can choose one of these two questions, but I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna punt and give you the option, Matt. Here, so either the first website that you can remember. Um, or your first psychedelic experience, and maybe they were the same. Who knows? They're attracted to dank. Or maybe places. your psychedelic experience dank felt like place. a website. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh man, I the first website I remember was like it was probably before websites, so it was like a BBS, and and it was really dank. Um, and it was just kind of like and i was going i had a list of bbs's and i was going down the list trying to find like basically somewhere i could download star wars gifs and star wars jpegs because i was a you know a nerd until i had my first girlfriend in high school i was super into star wars up until then um that tells you what year what what year are we talking about for ask. this BBS? I would I would say that's probably like ninety three. Got you. Dank. Yeah. Dark and dank. If you could if you could live anywhere physically, you'd live where, Matt? Oh, I this is see this is the challenge. I don't know. This is and this is why I'm a, I'm being a nomad, traveling up and down the West Coast, and why I need to really like get my passport reordered since it expired because i just i don't know for the longest time i thought like you know during those dark years i thought like i don't really have a future and it i'm gonna live where i can live um and this the 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 amount of changes that have come into all of our lives in the last couple years i'm just speaking for myself um I have not been able to like keep up, like catch up as a person to like who I actually am and inside uh, compared to like what people's perceptions of me are and like what my actual reality is. So I need to, I need to do a lot of like thinking about like where I want to live now that I can choose that. That's interesting. That was trippy. <laughs> um, so I, I feel lucky to be able to ask this question because I feel like you'll probably have a good answer for this one. Uh, an experience that you've had with a collector that's been particularly impact, impactful, Matt. I think I, sh- I think I can tell this story. Um, uh, four days ago, a collector. So Gazers just had their year anniversary, and one of the origin moons of Gazers is um, the Gazer sale. Because I, I knew upon creating Gazers, it was something very special that was going to change my life. I didn't know how. Um, so, we, so a couple of days ago, it was celebrating its year anniversary. And during year celebrations, you can use your mouse cursor and make the moon as big or small as you want. Um, it's essentially a full moon with like 12 auras because there's been 12 months since then. So origin moons, they, they add a new um, aura. Uh, each or halo um, uh, each you know each month and it it celebrates it each year Um, and um, this this collector shared this story that um, he woke up and he saw his gazer celebrating and he went to visit his um, 
grandmother who was in hospice and he like took out his phone and he said look you know my gazer is celebrating your life and um that was his like last memory of being with her uh, and because she passed away that day and um he said that like now he's he's going to be able to like every year this celebration is going to happen and he's going to feel like for these 96 hours he's going to be able to like be with her again and you know remember her and for me that i still i'm still processing the personal meaning that um my collectors are adding uh to the to their artworks um to my art to the artworks that i've created they're adding this personal meaning and i think you know um i said you know i i sort of hope for gazers to be on a digital digital frame when we have digital frames and that it's has a dedicated spot in your house and that you're able to like live with it and sort of associate what's the changes happening in your life with like the the moon design um as as that changes and of course that's like my intention you know completely abstract and then to see in the last year the personal meaning the stories that that my collectors have um have ascribed uh to the works they've collected um it's it's super meaningful to me and it's one of the reasons that i created etch um because i think these these stories that they're sharing are super important um and i and i wanted to just my own if if only my own collectors uh appreciate etch and use etch i i feel that's 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 it served its purpose you know thanks for sharing that with us that was great yeah i mean i think like that i feel like it is is sort of the the, the wrap to, to 22 questions i don't know how far we got this round but it never really matters um matt like yeah i, I just feel like it's like every everything you're doing it just feels so like i, I feel like we, we use this word like kind of like native to the space and it's so it's kind of, it doesn't really do justice to, to, I feel like, sort of how intertwined and, and entangled you have really become, I feel like, with the meaning of what crypto art is, you know. And that piece in particular, I mean, that story in particular, like, gazers make sense like that, to, to again, be, be lived with and experienced over time. Um, and, I, and I do feel like there's, there's a special place for art that, that really does that. Um, and, and you've... You know, you, you built some really, really special stuff. And, and it's, I, I can't wait to hear more stories that come your way for like how your work has also played a role in, in, in your collector's lives and other people's lives. Um, thank you so, so much for being with us today, dude. And we're, we're so excited to check out Etch. Uh, check it out on DECA uh, right now. Go to mattkane.art, M-A-T-T, K-A-N-E dot com. Um, there's, there's so much. I mean, like Matt has, has written a bunch. He's done so many talks. Definitely dig into to what he's all about if, if you're the least bit interested in what's happening in this space. Um, again, such a pleasure to have you, Matt. And we, we hope to have you here at the Dankness again very, very soon. I hope so. Thank you for having me. It's been a, a sincere pleasure to join uh, and Stella. I'm certain that the answers lie in this mysterious etching. This type is interesting. Hi, it's Benny McCoy. I'm a 13-year-old schoolboy from London, fascinated by the world of cryptocurrencies. 
Last year, I launched my own NFT project called Read Wells and it went viral. As a young person who has grown up in these rapidly changing times, it's extremely important to document the crypto art and digital assets movement. And that's why I'm honoured to be a part of New Hair. New Hair is both a film and an NFT project by Dan Sickles, which aims to capture the stories within the crypto art movement, featuring some of the greatest minds within the space, such as Tyler Hobbs, G-Money, Claire Silver and Snowthrow. There's three ways you can get involved with the project. The first is to head over to their Twitter and give them a follow. The second is to jump into our Discord, where we have an extremely vibrant community. And the last is to meet a newbie NFT, which you can do so to support the project. Or at newhere.xyz Thank you, thank you, thank you to our incredible guest, Matt Kane. Uh, it's been an honor having you join us on the Dank sir. Yeah, make sure to check out Matt's work at, uh, at Matt Kane Artist uh, on Twitter. And um, his website is uh, mattkane.com. So that's at, the symbol at, Matt Kane Artist is his handle on Twitter. And then uh, mattkane.com to check out his work. Much love to Stella with the incredible dank tones. And you can find us on the interwebs at thedankness.xyz. That's thedankness.xyz. Newhere.xyz and clubnft.com. You can also catch us on our personal Twitter accounts. That's at artnome, A-R-T-N-O-M-E, not like gnome with a G. Um, so that's A-R-T-N-O-M-E. And Dan underscore thingy sickles. That's at D-A-N underscore S-I-C-L-E-S. Without further ado, have an absolutely dank day, ladies and gentlemen. Stella, take us out. Flood's AI generated assistant speaking on behalf of himself and Stella. Flood and Stella are extremely busy working on making the dankest danktones for the upcoming episodes. Here is a chat GPT, intro to them and their work on the dankness. Flood and Stella are audio-visual artists collaborating to make waves in the dankiverse with their trippy, acid-infused art project called the Danktones. They have been super busy lately, working around the clock to create some mind-bending image composition and FT art that's about to turn heads in the community. They're hitting all the retro music store vibes. The podcast cover art includes stickers, holographics, shrink wrap, and even some redacted sound effects. Yes, you heard that right. This wild duo is bringing back physical media vibes in a big way with this release. 
but it's not just the medium that's impressive, it's the audio-visual art itself. Blood and Stella's art is truly something special, with bright, bold colors and intricate patterns and zany sound effects that will have you feeling like you're tripping on acid. So if you're a fan of NFT art and you're looking for something a little bit different, definitely check out Flood and Stella's The Dank Tones Project. Thanks for your time. Have a dank 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 dank